just want to be with you. <laughs> Is that your cry, that you want to be with the Lord? The song says that we will sing in your presence until you come again. They just preached my message. <laughs> We're going to do the benediction because he's coming again. He's coming again. And that's the reason why we sing. That's the reason why we can have joy and sorrow. That's the reason why we can have the song of praise when we feel heavy. Because we're not left on an island alone. We have a king, a leader, who's given us an assignment, but he's coming back again. He's coming back again. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you today that you are coming back again. We thank you today that you haven't left us alone. And that we don't serve a God that is distant and far off. A God that will leave us in our sorrow. A God that won't be within us in our pain. We serve a God who has us on his mind. And for that, we thank you. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can take your seats in the presence of the Lord today, beloved. Glory to God. Uh, as we finish out this last message in our series, The Gospel at Work, uh, when Bob chose the themes of these particular messages, uh, I got to the passionate work and I was looking through the text. I'm like, how in the world he get the passionate works? Right? I was wondering, how did he come up with the passion that works? And, and, and then when I started to, to dive into the passage and begin to study the message, it made perfect sense how we can have a passion that works. Uh, I want to speak to you today from the theme, the title, The Passion That Works Is Grateful. The Passion That Works Is Grateful. Uh, open up with, you, with me, if you will, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, we'll be reading verses 16 through 18. Um, this is, will be my key text from, key passage from the text. I'm actually going to be reading from the Amplified Version um, because I like how it highlights some things I want to bring out here in this message. It says this, Rejoice always and delight in your faith. Be unceasing and persistent in prayer. In every situation, no matter what the circumstances, be thankful and continually give thanks to God, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. The passion that works is grateful. I, I, I just, if, if you could for just a moment, if you could just, just, just bear with me, if you, if you could just turn to somebody and just let them know, I'm thankful you're here today. Just, just look at them and just tell them, look, look. You know, if, if, if you're online here, you can't participate in this, I get it. But you can text somebody and you can say, hey, listen, I'm thankful that I got you here. I'm thankful that you're in my life. Um, it, it's interesting that um, we don't recognize how much we appreciate people until they're gone. 
We don't recognize how much we appreciate them until they're gone, which is why you ought to give people their flowers while they're here. Right? You don't, don't wait until they're gone and give them their flowers. Give them their flowers now and, and tell people how much you're thankful for them and you appreciate them. Um, th there is something special about appreciation and gratitude. Sometimes it's a, it's a fist bump, you know, it's just a head nod, just a smile when somebody walks in the room, just to let them know you appreciate them and you're thankful for them. Um, but there's something special uh, about showing gratitude for others because when we do that, they get to experience the goodness of it uh, and, and, and we get to experience it as well. Gratitude is just as much about you giving it as is the person who is receiving it. Uh, according to Reader's Digest Online, uh, they decided that there were eight specific occasions where you need to give people a formal thank you. A formal thank you. I mean, just don't just, hey, I appreciate it, and just walk on. They want you to give them an formal appreciation and maybe a thank you note. I'm going to go through them real quick. The first one is a job interview. After you have a job interview, you need to send a formal email or something, appreciation and thankfulness to the person who interviewed you. Okay. Receiving a gift. Definitely, right? You, you need to send in a formal appreciation note. I'm still waiting for the ones for my kids. <laughs> a, a, after a dinner party. Right? You have a dinner party. It takes a lot to put on a dinner party. You got to buy all this food. You got to cook it. Make the house. You clean. Listen, y'all houses ain't as clean as y'all make them when people come over. <laughs> right? You're cleaning up. The, you're getting everything already. You need to send people in a formal thank you note for a dinner party. Uh, after somebody does you a favor, right? If it's a special favor, something they didn't have to do for you, send them a formal thank you note. When they write you a letter of recommendation, right? They're they, they telling all these lies about you to these people. You need to tell them thank you. Send them a formal thank you note. Uh, after receiving acts of condolence, right, uh, during a time of grieving and mourning, when, when someone gives you a letter, they give you money for the repass and, and things of that nature, send a formal thank you note of appreciation. Uh, a major life change, you go through something crazy uh, that you weren't expecting, and, and, and the last one, after being a house guest. Somebody puts you up for the night, or for the week, or for the weekend, whatever it is, you're blowing that bathroom up and, and all that type of stuff, you need to tell them thank you. They're feeding you food and all those things. Give them a formal thank you note. Uh, Reader's Digest even tells us how to write this letter. They said that you should start by addressing the recipient based on your relationship, acknowledge them for what you're thanking them for, Mention how you plan to use or display the gift, and then finally close the letter with some warm words of uh, admonishment about the person. I, I don't know about you, but I think Reader's Digest stole these tips from uh, 1 Thessalonians. I think they took them from Paul. It sounds just like what Paul does in the letter. He addresses them affectionately as brothers and sisters throughout this letter. He tells them how thankful he is because of their faith in Jesus and the message of the gospel. He tells them that uh, he tells them that he know that it causes him to pray actually for them as he thinks about how grateful he is. And then he closes the letter here with some warm words of admonishment that we're going to talk about here today. Uh, this entire letter is a testament of congratulations and comfort to a group of people who have been experiencing persecution and pressure. From those that, that do not embrace 
this message of the gospel. Yet despite it all, they are grateful. They are grateful. Uh, more, more than that, more than that, th th they are passionate. Th these people are passionate. They have a strong feeling of conviction about the things that they are involved in. So passionate that in this letter, Paul has to urge them to bring their sexual passions under control. They were passionate people. We had to tell them to bring, get, get yourself in control, get yourself under order. He had to bring them in control. So passionate in their love towards one another that he needs to help them to understand the true hope found in Christ when they lose a loved one. Right? That grief is passionate. Right? He has to bring that in, into balance for them. And then finally, he's so, they're so passionate, Paul has to encourage a lot of them to go get jobs. What jobs got to do with anything? I, listen, if you got any artist or creative children, you know what I'm talking about, right? It, it, for, for anybody who is a creative, you know you got to tell them, listen, you ain't got to be a starving artist. You can work while you wait, right? And he, Paul has to tell these, them they're passionate about their gifting and their talent. They want to pursue it. And he's like, look, that's great. Jesus is coming, but you still need to go work while you wait. And so he has to tell them these things. And, and, and these people were so passionate, he wants to encourage them in this letter to focus their passion. And beloved, I want to encourage you to do the same thing here. I want to encourage you to focus your passion on something that actually works. Something that actually works. Do you know what that, you want to know what that is, beloved? What is something that actually works? All right, I'm, I'm glad you asked me. Uh, the passion that works is grateful for the gospel message. It's grateful for the gospel message. And why is that? Uh, it's because the gospel message prepares us for the last days. It prepares us for a time of the end. The true gospel message is not just about the cross of Christ. It's not just about the death of Christ. It's not just about the resurrection and ascension of Christ, but it's also about what we sang about earlier, the return of Christ. This is the one true correction that Paul is writing to the Thessalonians about. He wants to correct their view of eschatology. And that's a 10-cent word that just means last. Eschatology. He wants to change how they see the times in the end to help focus them on what they ought to be focused on. You see, he, he wants to correct this view because the New Testament does much of it, it. It tells us that the last days are much about judgment and blessing in the Old Testament, and the New Testament does the same. But the New Testament gives us a different word. It talks about what Paul calls the day of the Lord this time when Jesus will return and bring fulfillment to the kingdom, which is God's comprehensive rule in human life. The message of the day of the Lord that Jesus is coming back to get a church without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing is a message that should cause us to live a life, to live a life that is an expectation and hope and gratitude as we wait for his return. And I wonder, do you ever think about this reality that Jesus is coming back? Is that, is that something that you spend time on in your thoughts? That one day, 
it could be today that Jesus is coming back? Or have you given up hope for that? Is that something that you don't even think is going to happen anymore? This is something that the New Testament believers had to wrestle with consistently. They got this idea that the apostles told them, Jesus is coming back. He's returning. And they were waiting and hoping and waiting and hoping. And, and he didn't come that day. Well, I guess he's going to be here the next day. And he didn't come that day. And, and, and some would give up hope that Jesus is returning. Uh, Jesus, however, told his disciples, you remember the story of the persistent widow. Jesus was trying to help his disciples to keep a mindset about the kingdom, to be consistent in their prayer and their hope about the coming kingdom, that he told them this story about the, the persistent widow. And many of you may remember this story. The persistent widow goes to a judge and she says, hey, look, you know, I, I, whatever she made her request and her appeal, and the judge was wicked. He didn't regard her. He didn't care about what she needs. He didn't honor God, and he just dismissed her. But guess what? She kept coming back day after day after day after day. So finally, this wicked judge finally says, look, this, this woman is getting on my last nerve. I'm just going to give her what she's asking for so she can stop showing up here every day. And what Jesus tells his disciples, he tells them this. He says, learn the lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many on the earth will he find who have? who are keeping this faith that Jesus is returning, that the kingdom is actually coming. And this type of passion for the completeness of the gospel message that not only prepares us for the last days, but it also prepares us for our present times. Well, that's the foundation of what Paul has in mind for the people of God. And after laying this foundation, in dealing with the major issue on their minds, he takes an abrupt shift in the conversation. An abrupt shift in the conversation. Uh, an abrupt shift, uh, quoting Mark from the Friday Quicks. Thank you so much for that, Mark. Giving the instructions. These are the instructions on how to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back again. And I just want to use verses 16 through 18 to try to summarize uh, the instruction that Paul gives here from verses 12 to 28, that if you're going to have a passion, you might as well have a passion that actually works. And the passion that works, somebody say it with me, is grateful. Is grateful. So I want to encourage you with these principles that will help you have a passion that works. There's just three of them. Number one, you want to be grateful for the guides of the gospel, what Paul is lifting up. You want to be grateful for the growth of the gospel, and you want to be grateful for the God of the gospel. So first, grateful for the guides of the gospel. We find uh, the summation here in verse number 16. Paul says, rejoice always and delight in your faith. Paul admonishes us that if we are going to have a passion that works, it must include an intentional joy and celebration. 
And, and, and this must happen at all times. You think, how can I be happy and rejoice and celebrate at all times? Here in Thessalonians, he tells us simply to rejoice always. Uh, but in other letters like Philippians 3 and Philippians 4, he tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. So, so he actually gives us a descriptor. And, and this is why I like the Amplified Translation here, because it adds that description on the text when it says delight in your faith. So you're to rejoice always as you delight in your faith. Our faith is that we are in Christ Jesus. Somebody say in Christ Jesus. Therefore, because we are in Christ Jesus, we should always be rejoicing about this reality that we are in him. The good news of the gospel is grounded in the fact that our hope is not in how good we can be, but rather how good God has already been. And because of that, we are in him. Our faith is that we are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we should always be rejoicing about this reality. Uh, but, but there's a part that Paul says, he says, how then can we call on the one who we've not believed? How can they believe in the one who they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone who's actually preaching to them? Which is why he says in verse number 12 and 14 that we ought to respect and hold in high regard those who care for us and give us spiritual guidance and spiritual focus to help us understand what it means to be in Christ. Now, we don't do this a lot in this generation. Honor for elders, honor for those who, who, who care for you has declined in a lot of ways. Um, but we can reinvigorate it. That's what we're called to do as believers. We're called to honor those who care for us, honor those who provide guidance for us, honor those who shepherd us in a way and give us the hope that we need to remain in Christ. And this is the interesting thing about these people that Paul is talking about. Remember, Paul had to encourage the Thessalonians that they needed to get jobs. Well, these people were bivocational shepherds. They, 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 they were people who were working full days, still believing in the hope of the resurrection, still believing for the return of Jesus Christ, but then they were coming back and having to do all the spiritual care and spiritual guidance for a church community. Now, I don't know if you know this, but it's not easy to prepare messages every Sunday when you got a full-time job. It takes a lot of work to make somebody a meal. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Who, who, who are the people that, the, the cooks of the house? Say amen. <laughs> Come on, somebody. People walk up in there, you know, made it all nice and good, prepared it all, ready to eat, and they just, oh, I don't like how this tastes. It ain't got enough salt in it. I think, uh, you've, been, you've been working hard to make that meal. And, and, and what we ought to be doing is just being grateful that somebody has prepared something for us that we might receive with joy. And this is why Paul tells us that we ought to be grateful for the guides of the gospel because they're making you meals every Sunday. Every Sunday. These guys, again, were bivocational. So to have a passion that works, be grateful for the guides of the gospel. The next principle he gives is that he wants you to be grateful for your growth in the gospel. 
grateful for your growth in the gospel. Verse number 17 says, be unceasing and persistent in prayer. The second principle, Paul encourages us to be unceasing in prayer. This idea of prayer. The songwriter says, oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Prayer is the lifeblood of the Christian experience. Prayer is the basis, the foundation, and the future hope for everything you will have in Jesus, everything you will have in Christ. And many of us trouble or struggle with this idea of prayer because prayer is the part where we need to cultivate a relationship with God. It's the time we spend in prayer as we experience life that actually grows us up in Christ. Yet it's the striving. How many of you know about the striving to try to pray <laughs> that, that causes us frustration and to fail in this endeavor? I don't want you to think for any second here um, that you need to strive in trying to pray more. Now, listen, I'm not telling you not to set up specific prayer times. I'm not saying you don't need to have a quiet time. You need to do all of that. But what but, but I am saying that the time of prayer is something, isn't something you should be striving for. And here's why. Because God has given you a way to cause you to pray more. It's called people. It's called people. He's given us a method that might lead us into more prayer, and it's called people. Have you ever tried unceasing prayer in your life? I know it can be difficult, right? But Paul helps us in verses 14 and 15 by listing different types of people that might encourage us to pray unceasingly. He tells us about lazy people, timid people, fearful Wicked and helpless, or weak and helpless people, and even evil people. See, when you encounter those who are lazy, you ought to be praying to God for them about how you might warn them to put their hands to the plow because Jesus is, in fact, coming back again. When you encounter people who are timid, and you need to seek the Lord on how you would encourage their faith to trust him more. When you're with the weak, you need to pray how to walk alongside them to strengthen them that you might give them the type of strength to go back to God rather than always coming to you. And that's part of our problem. We think we're strong enough to help people all the time. We think we got the answers that they need. Oh, I've been through this situation. I think I can help you with this. No, that should be causing us to pray when we are weak, when we are timid and fearful, when we need help and when we are feeling lazy and sluggish and don't want to go to the Lord in prayer, the fact that you, it's on your mind that you don't feel like praying ought to cause you to pray. Lord, I really don't feel like this today. But I know you're here with me. And I know you're strengthening me. The very fact that you put that on my mind means that you're giving me the opportunity to come to you. That's unceasing. You will never find a time where you don't need to do that. Because you need the type of help that you need to pray for. 
You need the type of faith that you need to encourage people in, and you need to be praying for others when they are experiencing the same. This is the reason why we can be grateful. God has caused us to pray so that we might be grateful for our growth in the gospel. Uh, as, as I was studying this, this part of the text, uh, there is a word that Paul uses here when he talks about continually. And it's actually a medical term that's used for hacking cough. It's the same word they used back then in the Greek for a hacking cough. And you've ever had a hacking cough? Like as soon as it's gone, it comes back again. As soon as you think it's over, here it comes again. And that's what Paul is saying. You need to have a hacking cough prayer life. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Pete. A happy hacking cough prayer life. He just prayed for you right there. Somebody thank God. But that's what Paul is causing us to have is a hacking cough prayer life. And here's the thing that I want to share with you. This, my, my wife had said it when we were kind of talking about it and I was kind of talking through the message. She told me, because as only a good mother would know, is that a hacking cough, if it persists, it can break a rib. But if you have a persistent prayer life, it can break a chain. So, so you need to just know that when you go to God in prayer, see, consistently it has the power to break the chains in your life. And you don't need a prayer time to wait to do that. You can just see the people that you walk by in need and you can begin to pray consistently as you become grateful for God's giving you the opportunity to grow up in the gospel. And lastly, we need to be grateful for the God of the gospel. Grateful for the God of the gospel. Verse number 18 says, in every situation, no matter what the circumstances, be thankful and continually give thanks to God, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ Jesus. The two previous passages deal primarily with the time for our gratefulness. But this last verse deals with the reason for our gratefulness. Dealing with persecution, whenever you're in a season of trouble or trial, you might notice people will always tell you that you're coming out of it. People will always tell you that it's going to be over soon, that it won't last always. And, and, and while those things are true, you will come out of it. It won't last always. Sometimes you got to wait for the promise. You got to wait for the promise. In verses 19 and 20 of Thessalonians 5, Paul warns us not to quench the spirit and not to despise prophecy. At the same time, he tells us that we need to test what we hear. Why? Because even if what we hear is delayed, we shouldn't become cold spiritually toward the things of God. We shouldn't become cold spiritually towards the prophecy that hasn't yet been fulfilled. And as we wait for Jesus to come again, this is a prophecy that we are waiting to yet be fulfilled. This is the reason that in spite every situation, we can still be thankful for God is because it is God's will that we be thankful and give him praise. This is the reason why we can be grateful for the God of the gospel. In every circumstance, the God that is returning to receive us is sovereignly 
and providentially in control of the times and the circumstances that we are in. We can be grateful for the God of this gospel because he again will return to us. If you would stand on your feet as we get ready to, to praise God, I want to leave you with these words from Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. Paul in mind thinking of this reality that to be grateful for God or grateful to God is a part of his will says these words and we know that all things are working together for the good of those who love God and here's my ad to those who honor the true spiritual leaders that feed you with the truth of the gospel to those that are building their relationship through prayer as they consider the lazy, timid, weak, and evil. To those who are in every circumstance, keep their passion burning as they thank the sovereign God continually. Why? Because they are the called according to his purpose. Do I got anybody in here who's called to his purpose? Do I got anybody in here who know they're chosen for his will? If you're a person that would say you love the Lord Jesus, then you believe he's coming back, that you believe he's coming to receive you into yourself, I want you to know he has called you to that belief. And he's calling you to call others to the same hope. The same good news that your sins are forgiven and he's buried them, conquered death, ascended to the highest place to make intercession as he is praying for you while you're timid, for you while you're weak, for you when you do evil, and for you when you need to build your faith and you need to get to put your hands on the plow to do the work. But guess what? He's just not up there praying and hoping it's going to happen. He plans to come back to get you. And that is what we have our hope in as believers of the gospel, that Jesus is coming back again. And as we sing this last song, I just want to ask you to surrender to that reality. I want you to think on it again in the midst of your pain, in the midst of any grief, that Jesus hasn't left you. He's coming back again. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you haven't left us without help. And that we give ourselves to you now, that we might surrender our lives to what you have promised.